This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. second reading, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. Jesus leads by example, humbly serving us, and then calling us to humble service. These words will serve also as the basis for today's sermon. Therefore, if any have, if, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. The boss says, I don't know why you're so upset. You're making a decent salary. You mutter to yourself under your breath, that may be true, but the way you treat me, there are days when I would like to shove the projects you assigned me back in your face. The friend says, where were you? I came to pick you up as we had agreed, but you were gone. The reply, well, by the tone of your voice when we talked about it, it seemed like that was the farthest thing from your mind and the last thing on earth you wanted to do, so I took the bus. Mom says, I told you to clean your room before you got on your phone. The teen snaps back, I heard you, just leave me alone. What's your attitude? Positive, negative, cautious, cavalier, optimistic, pessimistic. When we seek a pat on the back ahead of giving pats on the back to others, we need a new attitude. When we try to bask in the limelight before stooping down to lift someone else into the light, we need a new attitude. 
When stories about our own achievements inflate so that we can't see past our own hot air balloon of achievements to see what others have done and what others need, we, we need a new attitude. When getting caught up in helping ourselves to whatever makes us happy with no worry about the cost in cash or connections to others, we need a new attitude. When covering up insecurities by putting others down, we need a new attitude. I need an attitude adjustment. How about you? In today's second reading, the Apostle Paul writes, let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And he's not trying to do group therapy by mail. What he wants us to know is that his attitude was dramatically and drastically changed by Jesus, and you and I can enjoy that too. The little dust clouds that normally poofed up from the dry path didn't materialize. And it wasn't because it rained the last night or because of heavy dew in the morning. It was because the donkey's hooves were clopping along on palm branches as it made its way around the switchbacks along the long ridge east of the city. Hail to the king! Rescue us! Save us! rang out the shouts of the crowd on that long ridge trailing behind the donkey's rider and echoing from the valley ahead. Did the donkey's rider jump off and holler, get rid of this pack animal and get me a war steed, or wave those palm branches faster so I can feel the breeze? No. Your king comes to you, lowly, and riding on a donkey. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. How many times have you stated, Jesus is God? Well, here's a simple math one for kids who might be here. If you worship every week for 30 years, you will have stated that simply by stating the confessions that Jesus is God. You will have stated that more than 1,500 times. We know it. We believe it's true. But somehow that truth about Jesus being God slips into the background especially when we hear stories about his life and ministry and somehow his miracles we take with a grain of salt. We've heard them before. And maybe start leaning toward those who actually think that Jesus was merely a human because all they are thinking about are the cute stories of a cuddly baby being wrapped in a feed box in Bethlehem or imagining him playing in the streets of Nazareth or learning cabinetry from his stepdad or traipsing from town to town as a rabbi teacher proclaiming his patented love your neighbor as yourself and finally in the end sadly dying a martyr's death. But Jesus is fully 
and truly God always has been, always will be. Would a general of a great army tear the stars off his shoulders and the ribbons and medals off his vest to put on the fatigues of a common soldier? Would he lie in his belly in the muck and mud and duck the splinters and stones from the sniper's bullet and feel the streams of blood and sweat coming down his cheek? Would he writhe in the agonies of the forces on the front lines? Would he take the place of a common soldier and die for his men, especially those who have been insubordinate, who've made fun of him behind his back, who have disobeyed his orders? Would he die for them? That'd be crazy. Probably not. But Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He chose not to flaunt the divine nature and power, which he always has. But he chose to keep it under wraps for a time. He chose to humble himself and become one of us, experiencing all of our emotions and temptations that come our way. Why? Why did Jesus do this humility thing? It's because we were swept into the gutter by a murky torrent of leafy, rotten sins heading to the sewer of hell. Who, me, I ask? Who, me, you ask? I paid a lot for my education. Well, my folks did. I've got my eye on a good job, or I'm already in one. I have friends who've got my back. I put away the pranks of youth. I stay away from substances that are illegal in some states, but I know create cranial confusion and cloudiness. I try to eat healthy. I showered this morning. I put on clothes and didn't even take some of them from the dirty laundry pile. How can you say that I am in the gutter? We all were, until being rescued and cleaned up. Why did Jesus do this humility thing? Two reasons. We need it, which I just explained. And here's the other, the big one. Because he cares. His attitude was all about us. He was willing to do everything and anything it would take to get us out of the gutter. And the only way that was going to happen was for him to jump into the gutter and to lift us out. Of course, he had every reason to ignore us. Pathetic, puny, snotty, persistent sinners pop up his muscles, swipe us away, and then stride up the steps to a glorious heavenly home gilded with gold. But no, he stayed on track with what his father sent him to do. He led and took on an embarrassingly painful and difficult life. No property ownership, no investments, no Amazon delivery of coffee or clothes or games or gadgets. 
rejected by his own countrymen, rejected by his townspeople, rejected by his own followers, and even finally becoming obedient to death. Not merely sighing out from the lungs the last time, not merely heartbeats ceasing, not merely brain waves flatlining, but the worst kind of death, a slave's death, a criminal's death, which included not only horrible pain, but the hellish pain of being abandoned by his heavenly Father. And yet, his attitude remained unchanged and constant. He remained humble, which does not mean to degrade or demean oneself, but to stop focusing on self and striving for personal advantage, but focusing on others. Jesus focused on you and on me. He wasn't going to be deterred by his enemies, dissuaded by his disciples, or even derailed by the devil. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, for you and for me. And that means we can stand before God and everyone else we meet humbly grateful that God no longer views us as gutter rats, but close to him by his side, in his arms as his dear sheep and children. Here's your attitude adjustment. I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were too fired up about being dumped into a furnace. They assumed that in seconds they would be soot. But they trusted. Lord, you are our Savior God. He rescued them. I don't think Daniel was tick tickled to be sent and thrown into a lion's den. He assumed he'd be lion lunch meat shortly and end up waking up in heaven. But he knew, Lord, you are my Savior God. God rescued him. Those people going through difficult times were certain of the outcome, certain of what God had done for them, them and what God promised them. They had an attitude adjustment because they were sure that they'd be sharing in God's glory. Trust in Jesus, and you will right now be sharing in his glory. Hard to see, isn't it? Hard to imagine when you go through a life and there are difficult days and problems and things going on in our life. Hard to see that we're in glory now. That's the challenge of Christian living. Listen to how the Apostle Paul wrote about that. He said, Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. And the Apostle John adds in one of his letters, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. What are these apostles telling us in their letters? They are saying that it might not seem like you are glorious right now, but you are. Even in the midst of difficult days and the worst problems you undergo, undergo you are glorious 
What does it mean to be in glory, into Jesus' glory? He's surrounding us in the brightness of his love and mercy and caring for us with his presence and his pardon. That reality adjusts our attitude. If you had an investment that was losing money, but you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt with absolute certainty that it would quadruple in value in four years, what would be your attitude about that investment? If you're planning to buy a house, which was kind of run down, in an old and dying neighborhood, but you knew with absolute certainty that someone was going to come along without cost to you and completely redevelop the house and the neighborhood and its value would go up times five in the next few years, what would be your attitude about buying the house? If you were in a battle, but you know with absolute certainty beyond a shadow of a doubt that you, your side would win the war, what would be your attitude about the battle? you'd be able to make it through difficult times because you knew the outcome, the reality of the glory. That's what Jesus gives us with certainty. He gives us glory now, connected to him and shining in his love and mercy, even through difficult times, and the guarantee of the end goal that he will sweep us and wrap us into perfect glory in heaven. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, he did keep his divine power and nature under wraps for a time to save us, but now his human nature has taken on all the properties and characteristics of his divine nature. He is at the highest place and has the highest reputation. And he takes all of that glory and love and presence and power and he wraps his arms around us in it and promises to take us there in perfection. Here's your attitude adjustment. So what does this all mean in practical terms as we live our life? Here's what it means. There are millions who have their eyes focused on the gobbledygook of TV news and get nervous because they believe every word. There are millions who have their eyes focused to find joy and can find it only in 20-second videos on TikTok. There are millions who splash messages on social media platforms without editing and they may be hurtful to others. But we have one eye focused on the realities of the ups and downs of life and the other focused clearly on the reality of what Jesus has done and won for us. Yes, life is sometimes hard. It's not always easy. Sometimes we deal with difficult people. Sometimes it seems difficult even to survive. But Jesus takes us from cross to crown and promises you have the crown of eternal life. He promises, be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. If that doesn't change our attitude, nothing will. Amen. And please stand. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.